Hey, welcome to Marriage Today podcast. I'm Jimmy Evans. This is my wife, Karen. And I'm going to do a teaching here in a little bit. We'll be going to a teaching on the true and lasting foundations of peace in marriage, how to have lasting peace in your marriage. We're going to do that in just a few minutes. But we're going to begin, uh, Karen, with some questions mm-hmm. that we have from our viewers. And the first one is for you. Uh, and this is, my husband and I are expecting our first child, and I am anxious about how our marriage is going to change. Social media and other couples tend to focus on the negatives about how parenthood can be damaging to a marriage. Any suggestions for first-time anxious parents mm-hmm. to set us up for success in this new season of our marriage? That's a great question. Yeah. I think all of us are always anxious when we do something for the very first time, and having a child is a huge responsibility. And yeah. You know, you and I like to say that um, if your marriage is staying strong, then how you parent will be just as strong. That's it's right. just, it's the, the challenge always comes from thinking somehow a child can change a marriage. Right. And if you come, go into it with a perspective of, no, this is a blessing. It's not a, you know, a burden. It's not a, something what social media tells me. It's a blessing from God. And, you know, to always put your relationship with your spouse first, right. you know, and yes, it's going to be challenging. And yes, there's going to be times that you're stressed out and the baby didn't sleep or the baby's crying. And, um, you know, but you always come back to the center of who you are as a couple, right. you know, making sure you keep that foundation strong. Well, you know, uh, what I write about in the Four Laws of Love book is talking about um, when babies are born, the biggest mistake that parents make is making that child the center of their universe. Mm-hmm. And you do see, especially first children, you know, second children, I'm a third child, they didn't care by the time I was born. <laughs> but, uh, but especially first children, there's kind of an obsession. Mm-hmm. We want to be the perfect parents, you know, we want our child to have everything. Mm-hmm. And so it, that you stop focusing on your marriage and you start focusing on that child and I'm just going to say that's okay for about three or four weeks, <laughs> but you better get it over with mm-hmm. B- because your marriage, when your children are gone, we're, you know, we've been married almost 48 years. So we had our, our daughter and then our son, mm-hmm. and then they grew up and left. And now we have five grandkids. And when you look, when we look back in our marriage, parenting was a very temporary thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been married 47 years. It maybe lasted for what, 22 years. Mm-hmm total, but by Mm -hmm. the time both of them grew and and left. So most of our married life has been without our kids. And if you sacrifice your marriage for your children, you end up, your children leave, and then you're, Mm -hmm. you know, you have an empty heart, an empty nest, and an empty marriage. That's good. So that's good. So do you think you have one here? Yes. (laughs) It says, my spouse and I have been married going on seven years now. Traveling the world has always been a lifelong dream of mine. I see other people our age who are going to amazing places and I always thought I wouldn't be far behind them. Every time I talk to my husband about it, another barrier seems to come up. I feel like I have made it a point to make sure his dreams are being fulfilled, so I am greatly discouraged that my dream doesn't seem to be holding the same priority. Am I being selfish? No, and and I like the way uh, that they put this, and that is um, I'm I'm sharing my dream with my spouse, Mm I'm doing everything I can to make their dreams come true. Mm-hmm. But it seems like every time something happens to where I want to make my dream come true, there's an objection. Uh, and I, I would just say that good in a good marriage, I'm your dream maker. Mm-hmm. I'm not your dream breaker. Mm-hmm. And so in a bad marriage, I'm your dream breaker. You know, you're, you're trying to do something and I'm over here 
holding it back. It could be money. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be it could be that let me say this is a woman and and her husband, and it could be the opposite. But uh, well, you know, part of it too is I'm wondering because I don't know I don't know this person at all, but I'm thinking of, of myself in that situation. You know, there's always been a lot of things that you and I would want in our marriage that you know we have to trust God for, and yeah. you know she could she could also actually go to the Lord about this and just say, Lord, this is my dream, yeah. and I'm going to trust you to bring it to pass. Yeah. And that way it avoids the manipulation and the control and the anger and the stress of not getting her way. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. The, the only thing I'd say is if if her husband is a tightwad. And, well, you know. And, but and, God can still provide. Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but all I'm saying is, is that, yes, you need to communicate to your husband your frustration, pray, mm-hmm. just like exactly what Karen is saying, and pray. But we need to be each other's dream maker. And if, if you are doing everything you can to mm-hmm. make your spouse's dream come true, and they're not doing that for you, that's not good. And, and the other thing I'd say is go to counseling. Find a good counselor, a good Christian counselor, a pastor, or someone in leadership, and submit to them and help. let them help you get through this. But I just think it's, it's just overall wrong for one person to dominate the relationship. Mm-hmm. And by dominate, it's just, you know, I get what I want, but you know, I'm, I'm not willing to sacrifice for you to get what you want. Okay, we hope that that's helpful to you. We're going to go into this teaching now on true and lasting foundations of peace in your marriage. Really good teaching to help you understand how you can have really have peace between each other, not fight, get along, and really have an enjoyable life together in your marriage. And by the way, if you haven't uh, uh, gone on and subscribed uh, to our podcast here, subscribe on the Apple Podcast or Spotify networks and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your review. So now we're going to go to this teaching. If you're going to have peace in your marriage relationship, you have to have agreement beforehand. This is Amos 3.3. And Amos asks a question. That's a very important question. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Okay, that's, that's the question. The answer is absolutely not. And the longest journey in life is marriage. If, if you're not in agreement and you're walking in marriage and one person's going this way and the other person's going that way, it creates conflict. It creates a lot of conflict. And that, that's what happened in our relationship. And so every couple enters into marriage, you know, hoping to have a great marriage, hoping to have harmony and peace and all the blessings of marriage. But if you don't have prior agreement in your marriage, it's a pipe dream. And so I started out in ministry. What I did was I got couples ready to be married. So when I took couples through pre-marriage counseling, I had a couple of different uh, things that I used in pre-marriage counseling. One was called a marriage expectation inventory. And I, I would take couples and I would ask them just certain questions about their marriage. One of the questions was, how many children are you gonna have? I had a couple. The man said six, the woman said two. How many of you know that's the problem? And I said, well, how many are you gonna have? And he said, six. And she said, not by me, you're not. That couple broke up. That was a deal breaker for him. Thank God they had that conversation before they got married. But most people don't. Is the wife going to work? And one, I asked one couple that, and the woman said, no. And he said, of course you are. A little, little issue there. Who manages the money? How much can you spend without your spouse's approval? Okay. Who will you spend the holidays with? I asked that to one couple, and she said, my family. We hate his family. <laughs> and he said, excuse me? Uh, how will you deal with uh, in-law problems? I had one couple that I said, well, he was Catholic, 
and she was Protestant. And I said, who, how, who, whose church are you going to raise your kids in? And he said, oh, mine. And she said, no, I'm not going to your church. They broke up in my office. They had never had a conversation about where they were going to go to church and how they were going to raise their kids and all that. There was another thing that I used called a role concepts analysis. And it asked quite, it's just trying to, trying to find out what you believe about roles in marriage. Uh, one question is who will do the housework? Most, the number one reason the couples fight is over housework and over the, the house itself. Who will mow the yard? Who will discipline the kids? There's one question that I ask on role concepts analysis. Is it okay for a woman to initiate sex? And I had a young man say, no, it's not okay. And I said, get out of my office. You're too stupid to get married. <laughs> and so, but the majority, if, if I wouldn't have led those couples through the process of talking about those things, they would have never talked about it. In other words, there's no prior agreement. We, we have not, we're entering into the most important relationship in our lives and we don't, we don't even know if we agree. We have been dating to impress, and we've been afraid to have deep conversations for fear it would split us up. And then you get married, and you find out you marry someone completely different than you thought you did. And you start having problems, and that's one of the things that Karen and I did. There are three levels of communication in marriage. This is very, very critical. Three levels. One is proactive communication. Proactive means we're doing it ahead of time. See, when you have a budget... One of the most important things about having a budget financially isn't the numbers on the page. It's a proactive conversation. We're not gonna react to money all the time. We're gonna sit down and talk about it and take the emotion out of it. It's not, not saying it's not emotional at all, but when you're proactively talking, it means, you know, before money is an issue next Christmas, let's sit down and talk about Christmas. Before money is an issue, you know, let's sit down and talk about all the different issues so that we can resolve it now. Proactive, it takes the emotion out of it and we're, we decide beforehand. Now we can walk together. The second type of communication is reactive communication. And this is where the, the peace leaves the relationship. We're reacting to the kids. We're reacting to, to work. We're reacting to money. We're reacting to sex. We're reacting to all these things because we haven't talked about these things. The third level is radioactive communication. This is somebody's going to get hurt. And when Karen and I got married, um, I didn't know about money languages. You know, we have, there are different money languages. And um, I see money as love. Karen sees money as security. There's no right or wrong way, so there's nothing wrong about it. But Karen likes to save. Karen's a saver. And so I like to save, and I'm conservative financially, but I'm, it's easier for me to spend than it is Karen. Well, when we got married, we couldn't talk about money because I thought she was a tightwad, and she thought I was a spencer. And I told her, you're a tightwad, Karen. And she said, Jimmy, you're a spendthrift. Well, I hated it when she said that. Oh. And I said, you know, Karen, you're the kind of a person that's going to die with all your money in a mattress. And nobody's going to like you. And she said, well, at least I'll have a mattress. And so, you know, that wasn't a good conversation. So we, we fought all the We couldn't talk about money. And so until one day I heard about the different money languages, and I teach about this in Marriage on the Rock in the session on money, I go into detail on it. But the point being, we could not talk about money. Well, how many of you know you have to talk about money? It's all day, every day that money is happening in your marriage. We had an issue that dropped into the radioactive category, which meant we couldn't even bring the subject up. And so it was terrible. So let me talk about the, how to get issues coming out of the radioactive or reactive into the proactive arena. 
The first thing you have to do is clear out the radioactive issues and make them a priority. You have to sit down, and, and there's a, the old saying, how do you eat an elephant? And that is one bite at a time. And if you've been married for a few years, and you realize, you know, we have several issues that are radioactive. And if you're in a blended family, it's even easier to have radioactive issues in a blended family. And so if you have radioactive issues, you say, you know something, that's not okay. We're not okay with this. We, because we have not agreed, these issues have become very emotional and they're keeping us from being intimate and having a sense of peace and goodwill between us. And so we are going to resolve these issues. We are not going to let these issues divide us. We are not going to let these issues ruin our marriage. And if we have to go get help outside, we'll do that. Listen, getting counseling is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. Teachable people succeed. Unteachable people don't succeed. You guys here are obviously very teachable. But the point being, Karen and I, we, we'll get help if we need it. We, we have, as a pastor, as a marriage guy, we've gone to get help. We had an issue with our daughter one time that, uh, that we couldn't resolve. And we went to someone, they resolved it in five minutes. And it had been five years and we couldn't resolve it. So Karen and I, we, at that time, we, we had a good marriage, but we, we had disagreement about our children. Uh, they were teenagers, about money, and about my schedule. Those were the three issues that we had, you know, kind of tension about. I wouldn't say we fought about it all the time. So we went on our vision retreat, our first vision retreat, and um, those are the first three things we talked about. And we woke up in the morning, you, you, from the time you wake up until around noon, uh, you just talk and pray, and, and then the rest of the time, you just have fun. And, and you fight. When you go on a vision retreat, a lot of times you'll fight. And we have a rule about that. And that is, all fighting stops at noon, come back to it the next morning. Okay, just decide, okay, we're going to have fun the rest of the day. Remember where we were. Okay. And <laughs> so you just come back and fight. Because you need to fight. If you're going to fight, go ahead and fight. But what, let's, let me ask you a question. Wouldn't you rather have a good three or four week fight and live the rest of your life in peace? rather than not have that fight and live the rest of your life in anxiety? Wouldn't you? Isn't it just better just go ahead and get it over with? And so what a vision retreat does is it brings every issue to the forefront. And it doesn't ask the question, what do you want and what do I want? It asks the question, what does God want? See, when you have two individual stubborn people at a standoff, it's just a headbutting contest. But when two people surrender themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, everything is blessed. Everything is peaceful. That's where the peace comes from. And so a vision retreat means every year, every year, we're going to have a vision retreat. Listen, if Karen and I start arguing, we know we need a vision retreat. If something gets between us and we kind of start yay at each other, we say, when do you go have a vision retreat? And when we go have a vision retreat, it resolves it. And I'm not trying to win, and she's not trying to win. We're trying to hear God. And when God speaks, now we're one. We don't have division. We have one vision. And because we have God's vision, he gives the provision. When we went away on our first vision retreat, and we prayed, and we talked, let me, let me say this. Now, I hear God. I mean, I'm a hearer. Karen's a feeler. So when I say you get away and you talk and, and you hear God, um, Karen feels, and her feelings are how God speaks to her a lot of times. She has deep convictions. And, and I'll say to her, well, you know, Karen, I was praying, and I feel like the Lord said this. And I don't, 
I don't pull the God said thing on her like, you better do it, I say, or Jesus is going to distract you dead, is that I don't do that. But, but what I do say is, you know, Karen, I was praying, and I thought maybe the Lord said this, and then she'll come back and says, well, I don't feel good about that, but I do feel good about this. And we talk and we pray until we both feel as though that we're both at peace. The Colossians 3 says, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. God leads us through peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And so when you get peace about something, you talk, it agrees with the Word of God, and you have peace about it, guess what? You're one. You proactively agreed on this, you write it down, and now you have something to hold you accountable. We went and prayed, we had our vision retreat, and the Lord said this about this. And we don't have any argument because we went to Jesus and he solved our argument. This is, we didn't, neither of us fought and won. Jesus helped us to resolve our, our issues. So the number one thing, if we're gonna have peace in our relationship is prior agreement. We have to sit down and talk about important issues and get the radioactive issues out, stop reacting to issues, and make sure we're in front of the curve and we know what God is saying to us in our marriage. Number two element of peace in marriage is purpose, is having God's purpose for our marriage. You know, um, Rick Warren, his book, The Purpose Driven Life, the first, I think this is the first sentence in the book, is it's not about you. And John Eldridge has a book called Sacred Romance, and he talks about in there about getting trapped in the little story. There's a big story in life and getting trapped in the little story. And a lot of people get trapped in the little story of life. The little story of life is going to work, making money, going to the grocery store, going to the cleaners, filling the car up, you know, taking kids to soccer. That's the little story. The big story is there's a king and a kingdom and an eternity and a call that God has on all of our lives to make a difference before we leave here. That's the bigger story. And see the question, when you get trapped in the little story, it's just about selfish people trying to get get what they want. But when you get into the bigger story, it's a game changer. And see, here's, here's the question. Why did God put you together? See, that, that's purpose. What is the purpose of you being married? And the purpose of you being married is not the little story stuff. Now, that stuff is important, but there's a bigger issue. An example, um, when Karen and I got married, I wanted to be a professional golfer. I've played golf all my life. Um, I, I played golf just about every day at that point. It, it was, I was a horrible husband, horrible father. But the purpose of my life was to golf. I was not a good father. My heart was not turned toward my children. I was not a good husband. My heart was not turned toward my wife or my home. But I was a golfer. I was a good golfer. And I would go out and golf, and that was the reason I lived. And I was damaging my wife, and I was damaging my children, and I didn't care. And it was the brink of divorce before God got my attention and helped me to understand there was a different reason for my life. See, I didn't, I didn't know I was Jimmy Evans. I didn't know that my life would touch millions of people. I didn't know I'd be in this room right now. But God did. And maybe the devil did too. And maybe that was the reason he was working so hard to split us up. But when God changed me and changed us, the purpose of our marriage changed. I wake up in the morning to serve a king in a kingdom and to make an eternal difference in this life. And that elevates everything in your life to a place of peace.
Because when you find God's purpose for your life, it's like putting your hand in a glove. You were created in your mother's womb to do what he called you to do. And everything I do today I love is why God created me on this earth. Marriage is about sharing, and it's about being partners. And let me just make a couple of, of points here, and that is dominance destroys marriage. Marriage is an equal partnership. And that's why I was saying your spouse should be able to say anything they want to say without paying a price. And we need to be kind to one another. We need to be polite to one another. But we need to give our spouse the right. In other words, we're equal stockholders. In a relationship where there's dominance, one person owns more stock than the other. And one person makes decisions without consulting the other person. Or the other person fears, feel, feels fearful and disrespected in the decision-making in the home. Now I was dominant. I mean, this, this was my deal. And so I would, you know, just not care about what Karen said. I would just kind of make decisions and bully her if she disagreed with me or whatever. Karen and I make all of our decisions together. I don't make any, any significant decision in life without Karen. I never bully her. I never badger her. And if she says to me, Jimmy, I don't agree, it's done. It's over. I walk away. I don't pout. Karen has made, kept me from making a thousand dumb decisions. She's brilliant. She's wonderful. I'm so grateful that I have her as a wife. I need her in my life. So we're, we're partners. There cannot be dominance, and we share everything. Marriage is about sharing. We share everything. We share our children. We share ministry. We share life. We share our home. We're not existing in two separate parts of the house or just existing, and I have my life and she has her life. We share our lives together, and we're partners in every single thing that we do. So partnership brings a sense of peace. And the final one here is prayer. And this is, let me just read this scripture and I'm, I'm done. This says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, so don't be anxious for anything. Anxiety is a choice. If you're an anxious person, you made a choice to be anxious because you don't have to be anxious. Let me say, if you don't pray, you're going to worry. So what you need to do when you wake up tomorrow is sit down and say, what am I worried about? Write down everything you're worried about. That's your prayer list. You know, you know when you've prayed enough? It's when you're not worried about it anymore. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.